Just to go ahead and clear this up before we start, yes, I own shoes. That seemed to be the buzz this morning. I decided I've got to step up my dress around here. The, uh, the standard has always been low around here. When John Little and Rick Cope are the fashion statement, the standard is very low in dress. You can wear Columbia shirts, flip-flops, so now we've got people stepping it up. Katie's got Adam Shelton looking sharp. We've got Bougie Biker over here who's always dressed fly. So I've got to change my dress around here to keep up. I can't have people looking better than me. Because here's the deal. What if, I asked this question last week, you only had 30 days to live. You'd want to make sure you look nice dressed up. So uh, we're in the series called Algorithm of Life. We're talking about that there's an algorithm that God has set out for us to maximize this amazing thing called life. And make no mistake about it today, life is amazing. The fact that we get to get up every single day and enjoy another day on the earth that God created for us is amazing. Man, we're not promised tomorrow. My wife and I were at my son's football game yesterday over in Alabama. We went to see him, and we get a text in the middle of the game. And many of you know Chuck, the older gentleman who's worked security for us for years. Chuck passed away yesterday after being in a wreck about 30, 45 days ago. We're just not promised Tomorrow, the Martins have been dealing with death. We've been dealing with death a lot here at Action Church, and it just kind of reminds me what the Bible says in the book of James. It says, life is but a vapor. We're not promised tomorrow. But the problem is we have this amazing thing called life, and the large majority of us are wasting it. We're living life going through the motions. We're living life complaining about life. We're living life having a negative attitude about life. We're wasting this one thing that we have because here's the reality. There are no do-overs. You're not coming back as a dog. You're not coming back as a tree. You're not coming back as a whatever it is that, that spirituality teaches you that you're coming back. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have one shot at this amazing thing called life. After that, we get eternity in a place called heaven. But we've got to maximize this thing called life. We've got to make an impact on this thing called life. And we live in a day and time where our life is dictated by algorithms. You get on your social media and you'll see the algorithm based on the patterns of your life. The ads go to your algorithm. The friends' comments that show up are based on the algorithm. It's a pattern that Facebook, it's a pattern that Twitter, it's a pattern that TikTok or whatever social media, computer, it's a pattern that Google uses based on the patterns in your life to make sure you're seeing what they want you to see, the algorithm. But God's laid out an algorithm for us to be successful. Now, here's the deal. Success is different for every different individual, and we all have different purposes, and we all have different callings, and we all have different visions. However, the algorithm is the same. The foundation of making the most out of life is the same. I did ask you that question last week. I said, if you had 30 days to live, how would you live your life? What would be different about the life that you have? And the reality is we have no control over when we're born, We have no control over when we die, and those two things will be on our gravestone, and right in the middle of them will be a dash, but we have all the control over the dash. That simple little mark dictates everything that we accomplish in life, the good, 
the bad, and the ugly. What are you doing with your dash? You hit me yesterday. My mom and my dad came down this weekend, and you know I'm not super close with my mom, and I'm not super close with my dad. And we went to the game, and my dad made some comment about his age. He said, I'm 67 now. And that hit me that my dad was 67. My dad's almost 70. In my mind, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm 46. If you would have asked me, man, how old your dad? I'd say probably in his 50s. That's just how I remember my dad. And it hit me to know my dad is almost 70 years old. And it hit me to know that his dad had already passed away by the time he was his age. And it hit me that my grandmother died a couple of years ago. And if my dad's 67, I don't know how old my mom is. She's right around that too. She's old. I'm sorry. And it hit me that I don't have much time. And you say, well, you might have 20 more years and 20 years in the grand scheme of things is not much time. And it hit me that I need to make the most of my time with them. We have one go around on this earth. And if we're going to make the most out of this life, we've got to learn to live that algorithm. The Bible says in John 10, 10, it says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Christ did not come and give his life or we could live a life going through the motions. Christ did not come and give his life or you can live a life of no purpose. Christ did not come and give his life or the only goal in life is to get up and work Monday through Friday, nine to five, and to a job that you hate to make money, to buy things you don't need, to impress people you don't like. That is not the purpose of life. Life is to make a difference, to impact those around you. And there's an algorithm to that. And last week we laid out the first step in that algorithm and we said we have to learn to live passionately. We have to live a life of taking risk and stepping out on that ledge. And I also made it very clear that taking risk looked different for every single person. Everybody's not supposed to go out and be an entrepreneur and everyone's not supposed to go do this. We had this bad problem of everybody's supposed to look the same. No, everybody has a different purpose, but it's to live life passionately. We talk about how many people are just wasting their life feeling sorry for themselves. And it's funny, I can always tell who those people are because they always try to catch me after the service when I preach a message like that and explain to me why they live their life that way. If you've got to explain why you're living life with no passion, you're missing the boat. If that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry, hang around. I'll hurt them a lot worse by the end of this message. But we've got to live passionately. Today's going to be one of those messages that kind of convicts us because it's one of the things that I think as a society, we're dropping the ball on more and more and more. You've got to live passionately and you've got to love completely. A life without love is not a life worth living. We were created with a purpose and a calling on our life, and the way we live out that calling in whatever way it looks like is to make sure that we're living. This isn't a new message for me. I've preached it many times. But I think God is wanting us to hear this message over and over and over because every time it goes back to this message. It's one of those stories that early on in my um, starting to read the Bible, I read it and went in one ear and out the other, and the more, the older I get, and the more I find out and discover what's truly important in life, it always comes back to this story. The reality is, if you don't love, you don't live. And it's a missing thing in our society today. We are a society that excels in hate. It's 
We excel in letting everyone know what we're against when very few know what we're for. Check out Facebook. It's always amazing to me that instead of attacking ideologies, attacking mindsets, we attack individuals. It's easy to attack individuals, but I'm not sure that's exactly what God had in mind when it comes to loving people. I mean, let's get off social media. Let's go into the church. The church is the king of letting people know what we're against, but very few know what we're for. The world knows what the church hates, but God forbid they know what we love. There's a great story in the Bible in Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is doing his thing, and I love when Jesus is doing his thing, and he's teaching, and I love when Jesus taught, because when Jesus taught, man, he upset the religious of the day. I came to a conclusion a long time ago that if the religious is not getting upset with Action Church, we're doing something wrong. I actually start to get worried when the religious are not criticizing us. I actually get a little bit concerned. I walked into the mill the other day and there was a ministerial meeting going on. I was not invited. Conference rooms all glass and I walked by and I waved. And I went to my meeting and I left the meeting and their meeting was getting done. And nobody criticized me. And it worried me. And no one had a lecture for me, and it worried me. And then it began to concern me that, man, maybe we're losing focus on some things. That maybe we're falling too in line. But then I went to a city council meeting on Thursday. An individual got up, and he began to oppose the idea that we were presenting, which I was fine with. Everybody has their opinions. And then he pulled the low-hanging fruit card. I just don't see how a preacher could do X, Y, Z. Had nothing to do with being a pastor. Had nothing to do with Action Church. I don't know why he felt the need to pull that card. But then he had to clarify it. I loved it when he clarified because I knew what I was preaching. Because here's the thing. The industry that I'm in, this guy was in the same industry. The exact same industry. I mean, now I'm a Christian. That's what he said. But it's different when a preacher wants to do it. The religious. And I thought to myself as I was sitting there, Bubba was getting mad and Christine was getting mad and I'm just smiling. And I'm like, we still got it. We still on course. And I love when Jesus is teaching and the religious leader are always trying to get him off track and get him upset. And the Bible says on one occasion... I like how that starts on one occasion, meaning this is just this specific occasion. This happens more than once. But on this occasion, it happened again. On one occasion, an expert of the law, that's the religious people of the day. The law was the Bible. An expert on the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, I find this funny because if you go back before, you'll see that Jesus is talking to a large crowd of non-believers the people he should have been talking to. And he's teaching them, ironically enough, the law, the things of the Bible. But the religious leader decided this was his opportunity to test Jesus. I always get a kick out of people when they come to me and say, hey, I, I, I just want to come to you. I, I, 
I'm just being devil's advocate. Now I say the devil doesn't need any advocate. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus was a pimp. He just goes back and throws him with a question with a question. <laughs> you tell me what's written in the law. How do you read it? Hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus says, hey, what do you think about it? Might as well go ahead and tell me what you think about it, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I say, you're going to tell me what you think about it anyway. So let's just cut through the chit-chat. What do you think about it? And the man answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, all your mind. Jesus answered in that way. The guy gave his answer, and he said, no, here's what you do. It's simple. You love God. You love God with your soul and your strength and your mind. You love God with everything that you are. We get that one. Then Jesus comes along and he throws that curveball because he says the first part's loving, living passionately like we talked about last week. I said, I want you to live everything. But he says, hey, but love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to ask Jesus some questions. Oh, you want me to love my neighbor? So you want me to love God with everything that I am? But you also want me to love my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Trying to trip up Jesus here. This guy's being cocky now. The guy's being arrogant now. The religious will always come at you in arrogance. The religious will always come at you in cockiness. No problem, man. I get it. My neighbor, the person I know, I love them. No problem. My family, that's my neighbor. I, I love them. I got that. So basically, you want me to love God, and you want me to love my neighbor. Easy. You want me to love the person who looks like me. And acts like me, and believes like me, and has the same social standing as me. Check, done, I'm easy. But Jesus looks at him, and Jesus has this way of taking every lesson that starts right here, and he just takes it a whole nother level. He said, no, let me tell you a story. And I like how Jesus always went into a story because he could have just told them the truth. But instead, he said, let me tell you a story. He reminds me of that old grandpa who's sitting on the front porch and he's whittling wood. And he's got a chaw on the side of his mouth and a mason jar to his right. And he just starts telling stories. And at the end of the story, you're like, man, that's good wisdom. That's good truth. Now, I don't know that Jesus had a chaw in his mouth. I don't know that he had a mason jar. I'm not sure that he wouldn't have those things. I'm just saying I don't know that he had those things. Matter of fact, I feel pretty confident that he didn't have those things. But he just goes into a story. He says, hey, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. So the guy said, that's easy. Love my neighbors. I'm telling you a story about a guy who just got robbed. He said, a priest happened to be going down the same road a religious leader. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So to a Levite, when he came to the place of Levite, a.k.a. a religious man. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now let me set this up for you, because it's an easy story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know the story. Even if you weren't raised in church, you probably know this story. But let me give you a little background on the dudes going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You need to understand that if you were to go back and look at maps in this time, this was a dangerous path of roads. It was a curvy road. So it made it very easy for those who wanted to do harm for you to hide out in the curves. It was a dangerous road. It was known for high crime. It was known that you never traveled it alone. It was a dangerous place. And while this man is traveling it, he gets robbed. He gets beaten. He gets left for dead. The robbers take his clothes from him. They take his possessions from him. And they leave there assuming the man's going to die. A little while later, as he's laying there, two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, pass him by. Isn't that amazing? The two dudes you think you would want to, to be passing by. If I'm on the side of the road and I'm broke down and I'm beat up, I, 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 in my mind I'm hoping a priest is coming by. Because I'm assuming, now you know what happens when you assume, but I'm assuming the priest is going to stop. I'm assuming the Levite is going to stop. But the Bible says they crossed over to the other side of the road and they ignored the man in need. Can I just rant for a minute? Some things never change. Some things remain the same. Some things have always been, and it seems like they will always be. And those things seem to be that the church just drops the ball when it comes to the hurting. We're about everything and anything but about the hurting. The church of nowadays, the 2022 church, really cares a lot about looking cool. We got cool names and cool graphics and cool buildings. And we make sure that we move out to where all the white folks, and I say that where all the white folks are building the biggest homes. And we build our empires right there. And boy, we might not have money to help the homeless, but we got money to get new projectors and new lights and comfortable seats. And it feels real, real good. Church cares about the offering. I ain't ever seen the church in America pivot so quickly as when the United States shut down and people couldn't come to church. Boy, online giving became the message, didn't it? And I get it, man. I believe the Bible talks about giving. But boy, we were going to make sure. We know you're stuck at home. We just made it real easy for you to give. And again, I'm not against online giving. Thank you for who, those of you who give online. But it became the message of the church. And we care about buildings, and we care about nickels and noses. We care about the offering every week, and we care about the attendance every week. But the church in general could give two rips whether or not somebody's on the side of the road, beaten and bruised, 
But if we're going to be the church that God created us to be, if we're going to be the individuals that God chooses for us to be, if we're going to make the most of this one shot called life, if we're going to maximize the algorithm that God has laid out, we've got to learn to live passionately and we have to love completely. And you cannot love completely bypassing those that are hurt, those that are broken, those that are busted, those that are disgusted. Those are the people that the church and we as individuals are here to reach out for. We were intentional about this location. When a group asked me 12 years ago, will you start a church? I said, we'll start a church under one condition. We move to the poorest part of town and we serve people. And it's not the prettiest place around. And I doubt there's very few churches that pull into the parking lot on Sunday and the pastor's like, man, let's go clean up the broken beer bottles and the used condoms and go into the trash cans that are overflowing with cups of urine. That's what God's called us to do. Oh, by the way, really that's what God's called every church to do. We're not here for the already convinced here for those that don't know God. We're not a country club for saints. We're an emergency room for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You can't do that unless you love people. Because here's the deal. Helping drowning people is hard. We took our dog out. Let me rephrase that. My wife took our dog out on the boat. I told her it was not a good idea. There's very rare that I'm right. But when I'm right, I'm right, and I'm going to brag about it. We have a golden retriever, and our golden retriever is an insane dog. He loves water. Like, loves water. If there's a puddle, he's jumping in it. He'll just sit on the boat, and it'll be great. He'll just let the wind go through his hair. The hell he will. That boat was wide open, and that dog's jumping in the water. Now, we were smart and got him a life jacket. But he wouldn't stay on the boat. So we kind of leashed him up to the rail of the boat. Let him have the wind going through his hair. That sounded really great. Let me, before I tell this story, let me make sure you understand the dog is alive and the dog is good. The dog decides to jump off the boat. The leash catches his neck. He's hanging there, choking to death. They jump in the water. I go to pick him up, or she goes to pick him up. I'm sure I wouldn't do it. I would probably tell her, I told you so. I probably wouldn't do anything. As we're going to pick the dog up, he comes out of the life jacket. Christine dives in. Bryce dives in. They're trying to save the dog. Dexter, don't ever name your dog after a serial killer. (laughs) Common sense says the dog would relax and allow us to get him back in the boat. But the dog's panicked. The dog is scared. The dog is fighting us. He's clawing Christine. He's clawing Bryce. We finally get him into the boat. 
but it was a war to get them though. No one will fight you like a drowning person. They're afraid. Do not think you are going to help those who hurt habits and hang-ups and you're not going to walk away with some bruises. You're not going to walk away beat up. But that's okay. We're in a spiritual fight. In a spiritual fight, you take some punches every now and then. It was never called to be easy. It was never called to be the safe way of doing church. Someone asked me one time, they said, there's been a lot of people come through these doors and a lot of people go out these doors. Do you ever get jaded? Listen, you can't allow yourself to get jaded because you'll get bitter and angry and not want to help anybody. But some of you are that way. You don't understand how to love completely. You can't even help people at Thanksgiving because you get mad they took advantage and came and got two turkeys that you didn't even buy. Got money for a cell phone, ain't got money for... Shut up! You know the amazing thing about this book? There's a verse in the Bible that says that every man must give an account for himself. I don't give an account for their actions. I give an account for my actions. I give an account for what we do. And we're going to love people regardless. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to love people regardless. Because I can't make you do anything. But as long as I'm the pastor of the church, we're going to preach love regardless. If you want another pastor and you can find some sucker to come take this place, by all means, let them have it. But you'll run that guy off real quick. There's a couple of churches in town that are merging together. I think it's awesome for those churches. And one of the pastors said to me recently, he said, man, you ought to be part of this merger. I said, do I get to be in charge? No, you'd be a great community pastor. I said, what are you going to do? I was going to be the... I said, my... Listen. I said, the people I pastored have you in the corner sucking your thumb. You'd be scared to death. They'd pull out tomatoes and start throwing them at you. You Gotta love completely. Gotta love completely. Priest walks by, ignores him. Levite walks by, ignores him. Oh, this is gonna be good because you don't even understand how scandalous this is. Y'all love scandals right here. Y'all love some gossip. You're gonna love this. This is dirt right here. But a Samaritan, stay there for a minute because it's gonna be good. Remember that word Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus looked at the man and said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert law said the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. He shut that religious leader up real quick. This was scandalous. These people understood something when they heard that story. See, the Samaritan understood what it meant to love completely. He understood what it meant to love unconditionally. He understood, and don't miss this, because I'm going to break this down for you in a minute. The Samaritan understood what it meant to love 
even when he had been taught not to love. See, in order to love completely, you cannot look at social standing. You cannot look at color of skin. You cannot look at religious beliefs. You cannot look at political beliefs. Does that mean you're not entitled to your political opinions? Absolutely not. In case you didn't know this, I have very strong political opinions. The difference is I can love people that have different opinions. You can love people without loving their ideologies. We don't see lifestyle choices. We don't love because of what we get back. That's not love. We don't love because we're loved. We love no strings attached. That's unconditional loving. But it sounds good. But the reality is it's hard to do. Because at the end of the day, we're this amazing thing called a human. And we have this amazing thing called flesh. And we have this thing called our sin nature. And loving completely goes against everything in us naturally. So we've got to rely on the supernatural. When someone betrays me, I want to fight them. When someone breaks and criticizes me, my flesh wants to attack them. When someone takes advantage of me, my flesh wants to no longer help people. That's our flesh. But that's the natural. As Christians, we don't operate in the natural. We operate in the supernatural with the power of God, and we've got to put some steps in place to be able to do that. I have learned that in order to love completely, you have to be intentional about loving. Because I'm going to go ahead and let you know it is not easy to love the unlovable. First thing we got to do, this man, he allowed himself to truly see the man. It's huge. This is huge. The priest saw the man, and he crossed over. The Levite saw the man, and he crossed over. They saw a problem instead of a human. The Samaritan comes along, and he truly sees him. He sees someone who's been beat up. He sees someone who's in need. He saw his condition. He saw his wounds. He saw his need. Don't check this out. The priest saw a problem. The Levite saw a problem. The Samaritan saw a person. If you're going to love unconditionally, we got got, to get back to seeing people as people. The first two men were distracted. They were preoccupied. They were too agenda-driven to be bothered. But the Samaritan, he's walking down the road. He saw the man. And he knew that at the end of his life, wherever he was headed wouldn't matter had he not helped that person. He knew that ministry doesn't come on schedule. That ministry comes in the moments when you least expect it. You don't get to plan ministry. 
You don't get to plan when you get to help people. You think yesterday, sitting at my son's football game on the first Saturday I've had all in five weeks, I wanted to get a phone call that someone in this church passed away? You mean you couldn't schedule that better? That's not how ministry works. It happens in the chaos. It happens in the mess. It happens when we least expect it. And we've got to be willing to love when it's not convenient to love. You don't get to schedule when you love people. This is an inconvenient time. Life is simpler, I'll just be real honest with you. It's simpler not to see. I got to be real honest with you today. When you start seeing people, it's a hassle. When you start seeing people, it's dirty. When you start seeing people as people, there's risk involved. There's cost involved. There's commitment involved. But you'll never be able to love until you start seeing. It's funny, we recently had someone in our building that is known. He's all over social media, all over TV, and blah, blah, blah. And I posted a picture of him being here. I think it was shared 40-something times. Had like 300 likes. People were DMing me. Is he still in the building? Can I stop by? Blah, 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 blah. And I get it. I get it. We're enamored with people that we think are larger than life. But what about every Sunday when people walk in this church and they haven't been to church in years? Do we see them? What about when the addict walks in this church and they have no hope and something drew them here and they knew it might be the last place they can go? Do we see them? What about when the person comes in this building and they're going through a divorce and their life is falling apart? Are we too preoccupied catching up on the latest gossip out in the parking lot to miss them walking in? <laughs> you got to see people. Most of us, to be honest, don't see those people. That's why we go up to people. I see it every Sunday. Hey, you guys new? And they're like, no, we've been here for a couple of months. And you've been here a couple of months, and you never even noticed them. Because you haven't taken the time to notice them. And I get it, we're busy. We're in our own little world, we're doing our own things, we're handling our own problems. And sometimes it's easier not to see. Because life is rough on our own. But we got a world full of hurting people that are looking for somebody to just see them. that are looking for someone just to see them as they are. And that's why we have so many people getting caught up in things they shouldn't be getting caught up in because they're just looking to feel something. The Samaritan interrupted his schedule. He emptied his money bag to help this man. Because he was an outsider, he's helping a Jewish man. He's a Samaritan. Keep remembering that thought because I'm going to get to it in a minute. He ran the risk of someone walking up on him helping the man. And assuming he did that to the man. He ran the risk of the innkeeper reporting him to the authorities because it was scandalous what he had done, but he didn't care. He saw this man's condition. When was the last time you saw somebody? That person who you got frustrated with, that waitress you'll snap at today because she don't get your drink in time. Maybe you don't know what's going on in her life. 
We went to the Waffle House yesterday because it's the only thing in the town where my son goes to college. And they were slammed. It was an alumni game, and there's 10,000 people there for a football game, so you can imagine the Waffle House was slammed. My mom lives a very sheltered life out on land, and she's not around people a lot, and she can be a lot. I would say this to her face because I did say it to her face yesterday. And the waitress forgot to bring her bacon. And she started to get irritated. Boy, it fired me. I said, look at her. I said, I think she's going to bring your bacon. You're going to be okay. Well, I mean, she didn't bring a straw either. I looked at her and I said, she's a little bit busy. And she's a little bit overwhelmed. And she might be a little bit busy right now, but I promise you she'll bring you a straw. Breathe. My mom's trying to work on our relationship. So I could tell, boy, she was fired up, but she would go keep it to herself. Biting her lip. Then she's trying to, I'm just saying, I wasn't trying to. I said, you were trying to be that way because that's what you do all the time. And my dad's over there smiling behind her back because he don't want her. He knows, my dad knows. He married to her, he can't say nothing. Shaking his head. And my mom's a good person. And I love her, my mom. But she has a bad tendency not to put herself in other people's shoes sometimes. She has a tendency, I had this tendency too, to think the world revolves around her. And she doesn't breathe and see other people sometimes. Loving completely means you lose control of your schedule, your time, your finances, and sometimes your heart to help those that are in need. When we're really going to love people, we see others as they are. This Samaritan saw this man as he was. Don't miss this, though. That's not enough. He accepted the man as he was. This is where it gets huge. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You cannot gloss over this, because you have to understand the biblical context right here. This dude was a Samaritan. The guy who's laid out on the road was a Jew. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Hated them. You think the extreme right hates the extreme left? They got nothing on the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans, in their mind, were half-breeds. They were half-Jews, half-Samaritans. When Israel was in captivity, they were the men or women who married their captives, captors, and had children with them. In this century, in this day and time, the Jews believed that if you had anything to do with a Samaritan, it was the same as eating the flesh of a pig. And Jews thought pigs were unclean animals. Check this out, check this out. The Jews actually had prayers in the synagogue during this period that asked God not to give grace and forgiveness to the Samaritans. God, don't forgive them. Don't give grace to them. That's a pretty strong level of hatred, isn't it? God, forgive us. 
but not the Samaritans. God spend all your forgiveness on me, not them. Jews laying there, Samaritan walks up, they hate each other with a passion. Their cultures hate each other. But the Samaritan didn't care. He simply saw a man in need. And he began to accept the man as he was. He didn't walk over and say, that's a Jew. And keep on walking. He saw someone hurting. Someone broken. Someone robbed. He didn't see a Jew. He saw someone who's needed to be loved, helped, and needed compassion. And he was willing to do whatever it took to help that man, regardless of the disagreements between the man. You want to live the algorithm of life that God has given you? You want to make the most out of it? Your love cannot be conditional. The Bible says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Can I get an amen right there that Christ accepted us? I'm talking about Christ accepted me in my muck and my mire. When I was unlovable to anybody and at my lowest, Christ loved me and accepted me. He took my feet up out of the miry clay and he placed it on the rock. And oh, by the way, today, there ain't a person here today that at one time or another hasn't been loved. And God looked down and he loved you. He accepted you. And who the hell are we to think God wouldn't accept somebody else? Disgusting. Hypocritical. Nauseating. I could write a book, five novels long, on all the horrible things I've done in life. The people I have hurt, lied to, things I've done, and yet God said, I love that idiot. Not only do I love that idiot, I accept that idiot. I'm going to use that idiot. Yet we think God wouldn't love somebody else. See, we tend to put conditions on our love. When you act the way I think you ought to act, I'll love you. When you talk the way I think you ought to talk, I'll love you. When you dress the way I think you ought to dress, I'll love you. When you walk the line that I think you ought to walk, I'll love you. I'll accept you if. Christ says, I accept you regardless. Accepting is when you quit trying to change someone and you cherish them the way they are. One of my goals at Action Church is that we become the most diverse church around. And we're a pretty diverse church. It might not look like it on skin color, but we live in a community that is 90, I think the last time, the last census is 92.7% honky. We live in a white city. It is what it is. But diversity is not just in skin color. It's in ideologies. It drives some of you crazy that you come to church with someone who votes different than you. I'm glad they feel welcome here. It drives some of you crazy that you come to church and someone loves different than you think they ought to love. I'm glad they feel comfortable to come to church here. It drives some of you crazy that people around here sin differently than you do. 
you know about so-and-so? I do, but I know about you too. Man, I love the diversity around here. Someone told me the other day, said, I can't pigeonhole you. I said, what do you mean? They said, sometimes you point out views that I think you lean this way. And I said, well, I do have those views. But then sometimes you'll have views that I think you lean this way. And I said, well, I have those views too. You put yourself in a box. I refuse to. My views are based on this book. And if you think either side's got to ride on 100% on this book, then you're sadly mistaken. The problem is with some of you, and I love you, you've made this country your God instead of God your God. I love this country. And as a citizen of this country, I get the right to have my opinion on how this country runs. It's a great thing. It's called voting. But my faith isn't in this country. It's in him. You've got to love unconditionally. I love that we have people that go to this church that would literally be considered millionaires. And they worship right next to people who are homeless. I love that about this church. I think the social club. Matter of fact, our series in December is going to talk about that. I'm doing a series, finally, I've never done a series called The Island of Misfit Toys. All the years I've preached on We're the Island of Misfit Toys, that's going to be our December series. I thought about using stage props and decorating the stage, and I thought, man, we're, we, we are the props. I love the fact that we've got two people that go to this church that I know of that are 100% atheist. They come every week. I said, why do you keep coming here? They said, man, the stuff you say just applies to my life. One day they're going to realize the stuff I say comes from the Bible that God wrote, and they're going to give their life to Christ. I believe that with everything. Where else should they be? Say, well, who are they? It's none of your business. Quit judging and start accepting. Man. Christians are the worst. I love this quote. I've said it 10 million times in this church. When Bill Bill Clinton was going through all of his stuff, Billy Graham, great evangelist, showed up and he prayed with him. Imagine that. An evangelist shows up and prays with a president. Sounds like the evangelist was doing what he was supposed to do. And the church lost their mind. Billy Graham... No scandal, huge morals, led hundreds of thousands of Christ, and the church turned on Billy Graham for praying with the president. Billy Graham simply said, it's God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's my job to love. You want to have the algorithm of life, you live passionately. And you love completely. Christians are horrible at this. Thank God that God loved me when I was unlovable. But thank God when I imploded my life and everybody turned against me, a handful of people reached out and loved me. 
I don't know where I would be today without those people in my life messaging me, saying, man, I'm, I'm here for you if you need anything. Hey, you need a place to come sleep, I'm here for you. If God can love them, then who are we not to love them? You want to see me get redneck? Let me see a spirit of unlove here. I don't care who it is. We've run them off before, and we'll run them off again. Here's the thing about me, that, and don't, I'm not trying to threaten you today, and I'm not trying to be a jerk today, and I'm not trying to be confrontational today. I'm just letting you know. I've started three churches before. I'm not afraid to start four. We'll start it over. We'll shut it down. I got a big basement and a wife who'll let me use it. But here's where I'm even more dangerous now. I don't even got to have my basement because I got people in here that have stroke rent checks and we'll go rent another building smaller and we'll start over again with people who just love people. No, I don't want to do that because I like all y'all. And we're family. And I think we get it. And God's doing some cool things around here. This place is pretty amazing. But as individuals, I just need us to check ourselves. Only because I want to see you live the life you were created for. I want to see you living passionately. I want to see you loving completely. And the last thing and I'm done and we're going home, he acted on his love. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on him, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, two coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and then when I return, I'll reimburse you for the extra expense. Let's read that again. Start back over, Xander. He went to him. Action. He bandaged his wounds. Action. Put him on a donkey. Action. Took him to a hotel. Action. Left money with the hotel manager. Action. Told him if it's not enough money, I'll be back and I'll make sure I take care of it again. Action. Love without action is not love. My wife tells me all the time, you can tell me you love me, and I appreciate it, or you can show me you love me with your actions. I hate when she says that. It's much easier to say I love you than to listen to her when I've upset her, listen to her when she has an issue. And love her enough to make the changes in my life to show her I love her. No more, that's just the way I am. Just the way I am. That's not love. Love's like I hear you. And I'll make a concentrated effort to work on that. I promise I will try to put my dirty dishes in the dishwasher and not the sink.
I thought I was doing good because I used to leave them on the counter. Then I moved to the sink. I just saw fairies got up in the middle of the night and moved them to the dishwasher. But apparently they don't. Talk is cheap. It's not enough to tell my kids I love them. I want them to know I love them through my actions. That means when I have the first Saturday off in a month and a half and my son's in the marching band two hours away and marching band isn't really my thing and I don't understand marching band and it's 40-something degrees outside and I got to sit almost four and a half hours to watch a five-minute marching band thing, I do it. And I do it with a smile on my face. And I do it because it's the highlight of my week. Because I want my son to grow up and say, Dad cared. He didn't just tell me he loved me, he showed me he loved me. Why, when my daughters need something, I do whatever I can to make sure I'm there for them. It's why when my son has a football banquet, like he asked today, and I take time to volunteer the building and forget that I commit to doing all kinds of other things and forget to tell my wife that we've committed to all these things and I have to stay after today and set it up. I want my son to know I loved him. And I'm going to work her in the future to let my wife know I love her and remind her of all the things I committed to for you got to take action. I didn't use the name Action Church when we started this church because I thought it sounded cool. I actually thought it sounded stupid, to be honest with you. I thought it was stupid. Everybody was using real cool names back then. Transform Church. Elevate. I'd already used Revolution Something cool. All I had was action, church. I didn't like the way it flowed. I still think it doesn't flow great, to be honest with you. But I was dogmatic about the name. Even some of the people we started with said, I don't like the name. I said, I don't care. That's what I want us to be. A church that takes action. A church that doesn't talk about what we're going to do or talk about what we should be doing. I want it to be a church that the minute you hear the name, you're like, bam, I know what they do. I love on Cherokee Connect when people ask about churches. It's my favorite. Or I'm looking for a church that does bam. The comments will be 600 deep. I don't know if you're on Cherokee Connect. If you're not, do yourself a favor and never get on it. But every time in the comments, this will be over and over. I don't go there because it's not my thing. But Action Church does that. I don't go there because I know too much about the preacher. I like that but though. But Action Church does that. I, they're down in the ghetto of town. It's not my thing, but, but Action Church does that. Action Church feeds people. An action church clothes people. An action church provides a place for those with addiction. An action church does X, Y, Z. I went to a ribbon cutting this week. I don't know if any of y'all remember, but those of that curtain over there, for like seven months, we had a dance studio. A dance studio. Say, what's a dance? Like a ballet studio. You know why? 
because they're renting a building in downtown Canton, the art center, and the city or the county decided the building was unsafe and needed to be condemned. They shut the building down. Gave them no notice. They put on Facebook. Very influential family, matter of fact, in this community. If anybody has a place we can meet, they were already building a place out at the mill. They said it's going to be about four or five months until our place is done. If anybody has space for us, I figured they were so influential, but they'd have a line of people, so just me just being nice and not really meaning it. Said, hey, we got this building. If you want to use it, you can use it. No one offered anything to them. Not even their own church. But they met here for six or seven months. I never charged them rent. They had a ribbon cutting at their new place this last week, and I went to them. And the lady got up. She was talking about people. And she began to talk about Action Church and began to cry. And she said, the only place that would take us in for these girls to have dance class was Action Church. Not, dance class is not the, to her it's the greatest thing in the world. To me, it's dance class. But the point was, it was us taking action for the community. They needed a place to meet, and we let them see that. A man asked me one time, he said, or a man told me one time, he said, I was at a conference one time, and they asked this question, if your church closed down tomorrow, would anybody but the people who went to that church know it closed down? There's a pastor in this area. And I wrote down in my notes, he sent me a picture of it, only Action Church fits this criteria. That's awesome. If Action Church closed down tomorrow, this community would be impacted because of that. Because you take action. You're willing to do what's needed. How pitiful that Mills on Wheels, an organization that has been around for years, decades, said they called every church in town and not one, not one church would return their phone call. And Action Church said, we'll do it all. The lady argued with me. No, y'all can't do it all. I said, why not? It's going to be 300 meals. I said, okay. Well, and this is what everybody laughed the most. She's like, do you need to talk to your board? No. And we got a board. I don't need, and I love our board. I don't mean to need to, I didn't need to talk to our board. Hey, board, can we serve people? No. We made an announcement, and you guys handled it. Because that's what you do. You take action. You act on the love. But are you individually acting on love? That's the algorithm of life. See the need. See the people. Accept the people and act on it. And it will change your life. We're into that season where everybody's in that generous mode. It's the holidays. But we need to do it in January, in March, in February, in April, in June, in May, in August, in July. We're to love completely, 365, 24-7 like the Waffle House, baby. We don't close for holidays. Live passionately, love completely, and watch your life begin to change. Let's pray.